Father, we come before in Jesus' name. I pray we'd be changed, um, become more like your son. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God's great bargain. I had a bunch of different names that I had for this sermon. Um, we're going with this one because of where we're going to end, and, and I'm just going to make tracks. Money stuff has been coming up a lot. Who in here spends time thinking Worrying about money. Let me see your hands a little higher. Okay. And I think some people aren't maybe perhaps in touch with their own souls. Um, you can't live in this society and not think about money. Jesus spoke about money all the time. Um... If you have a wrong attitude towards money, it will wreck you. It will destroy your spiritual life. That's why he talked about it a lot. In culture, money um, I, I haven't run the percentages or whatever. It is a, millions and millions and millions of people. It's their God. It's what they live for. It's what they serve. It's what they think about. It's what they dream about. And um, so there's just a lot of issues that have come up at the church with individuals. And uh, I think I'm going to this can be a this is going to be a challenging sermon for a lot of you guys. Very challenging. But God's like a surgeon and he brings his word because he wants to remove things that are going to hurt you. Uh, so if you're a small child and you're, you don't have the maturity to understand why the surgeon uses a scalpel to cut you, um, you can think he's a very mean surgeon. But God is a God of love. He doesn't ask, he doesn't ask anything of us that isn't motivated by his incomprehensible, unfathomable love. So he will he may, he may cut and hopefully he will cut many of you like a surgeon this morning. Um, and that's what the word it says: the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The word of God is the thing that's going to be doing the surgery this morning. I'm going to be facilitating it, and the Holy Spirit's going to be helping me to explain some things to you, but. Um, so let us jump right in. This is God's great bargain. Some thoughts on wealth. Just going to go through a list of things here. The most, the most pointed spiritual warfare passage in the Bible is very close to a businessman planning out his next big score. I've never seen that before. The most pointed passage on spiritual warfare and how to win in the spiritual battle. We're going to do a whole seminar on this. It's right 
next to a passage about a businessman. And what this businessman says doesn't look evil. Actually, when you read it and, and you see James jumping all over this guy, you're like, what the heck, James? For Pete's sakes. It's just a guy planning out a real estate contract. Just a guy going to have a lunch with some guy in New York, you know, to talk, you know, is a guy just calling up his broker on the phone. It's so what what are you getting all over his case for? So this is my my first, I just thought this was really interesting. And why? Because um, I'm helping, well, I'm always helping people, but it just so happens that right now there's people that a wrong view of finances ha has led them into satanic bondage. And uh, Satan doesn't play games with us. If he's trying to work you in a sin area, he's trying to kill you. And uh, so I'll talk about this in a minute. But the passage that I'm talking about is James chapter 4. And it tells you, if you are in demonic bondage, it's because you believed lies and those lies have caused you to act. And then the, those actions, you're, you're continuing to do them. They're getting out of control and they're bringing chaos into your life. Does that make sense? If you believe a lie, why do you do the things you do? Because you believe you have a worldview, and it's 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 uh, kind of like a basket woven together of all your beliefs. This is your worldview. Your worldview and the beliefs that you have in your worldview, they motivate your actions. So if you think you're awesome, you'll be confident. If you think you're a total incompetent, you know, ninny, then you won't try things. It's just, it's what you believe. And then if someone can change their beliefs, it'll change their actions. So James 4 is talking to a bunch of Christians. They're born again. They're going to heaven. He's, he's not challenging their salvation, but they believe wrong things. Um, and they're fighting with each other. And the devil's gotten loose in the church. That's, again, why am I thinking about money and the satanic? Because we're doing a seminar on the satanic and how it works. And I'm counseling some people with some money problems. And uh, Satan will use anything. He'll use your kids, he'll use your job, he'll use your money, he'll use your hobbies. So, but money is one of the big ones. So in this passage, the, the famous line is right there in the middle. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And if you rip it out of context, you think that just means you shout at the devil whenever you're feeling blue or grumpy or tempted, right? Well, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if you're believing something wrong about money or sex, or any other aspect of life, or forgiving someone, or the time you're, you spend doing things, or how you treat your children or your wife, if you're thinking wrongly, how do you submit to God? You change your thinking so that it lines up with the way God thinks, and in doing so, that's called repentance. Then you turn, you realize, wow, I'm believing a lie. That's how Satan is working me, because he's the father of lies. That's causing me to act in a way that is destructive. How do I submit to God? I'm going to find out what God says about this. I'm going to believe that, and then it's going to change my actions. And in my repentance, and in the in the using turning of my will away from the lie to the truth, and asking for God's forgiveness for the actions that stem from that lie, the devil no longer has any hold on me. Does that make sense? And then you can say, like Jesus did, can we speak to the devil? Of course we can. Jesus did it. We can say, Satan, get out of here. You don't have any right 
to this area of my life because I've renounced the lie, I'm embracing the truth, and now I'm going to start acting according to the truth. This is this is going to be 90 plus percent of all the spiritual warfare that you go through or you help other people through, helping identify the lies the devil has sown, what the truth is. And Satan is real. This isn't some fantasy analogy, poetic way of speaking about human trials. They're real personal entities, and it's a lot of mystery to it, but they latch on to us, and the legal right is given to them when we believe a lie, and then we commit sin, and that's, that's anyway, that's spiritual warfare. You believe the truth, you're free. You abide in my word, you're really my disciples, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. How many of you have been deeply, 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 at some point in your life, deeply, deeply, deeply in bondage, and plummeting towards destruction? And perhaps even contemplating suicide, ending it all. Yeah, I see those hands. Amen. Hallelujah. It's not that people are like, I thought I was the only one. No, it's that's that's the human condition. The devil's working everybody all the time, trying to get them to think wrong thoughts. So they do wrong things, bring a lot of destruction in their life, and then they want to boom. That's that's what happened to Judas. That's just a very normal progression. So we have this passage about repentance. So submit to God, how? By believing the right things which will in turn cause you to do the right things, and it will cause the devil to lose all legal claim in this area of your life. But of course, you have to be born again for any of this to work. None of this applies to you if you're not born again. You're just going, what in the world is he talking about? This is The Bible is a love letter written to God's children, and if you have not chosen to get in on the contract, the new covenant, this, this isn't for you. This is the benefit and the blessing that belongs to us as God's children. Um, if you would like to be able to beat the devil, first of all, you have to be saved, born again, invite the Holy Spirit into your life. But this isn't a message about salvation. But if you're not born again, yeah, I'm sorry, this is going to be very confusing. This is for you Christians because money is going to be one of the main things that is going to kill you. So anyway, this main passage about spiritual warfare, getting your mind straight. Okay, here we have verse 10. Jump down to verse 13. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. What's wrong with that? Most Christians will say absolutely nothing. That's what makes the world go round. James is about to give you the business. And then you could fill that in however you want to. Next week, I'm going to try to make so many phone calls, and I'm going to try to score this many contracts, and I'm going to try to make this much, and I have these financial goals. I'm going to try to set up this many meetings, or I'm going to go get my degree, my MBA, or whatever, or my business degree, my construction degree, and then I'm going to start out small. I'm going to climb up the corporate ladder. Basically, anything you're just planning to do with your rational mind for the purpose of obtaining money, James says, you better think long and hard about what you're doing, and it comes right on the heels of this passage about the devil who has a church in bondage, and he says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and then he goes on, be miserable, mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy into gloom, because this isn't, this isn't patty cake, this is life or death, and if you don't get your financial head on straight, things are going to die. Oh, so interesting, so many interesting things to talk about. <laughs> I went online because I was looking for nightmare um, uh, lottery stories. That's all there are. There, there aren't any. Does anybody know a not nightmare lottery story where someone won the lottery and didn't turn out later on saying, I wish I'd never won the lottery? I'm serious. Have you ever heard of one? 
where a person won the lottery, and yet we all believe that if we won the lottery, we'd be set, right? We all believe it. That's because we're, we were lied to. Or if grandma, you know, Tilly down in Florida, you know, we inherited $5 million, we'd be set. It's, we all believe this lie. This is a cultural lie. Um, that money will lead to happiness or whatever. So, um, so right on the heels of this, come now you say, today or tomorrow, go to this city, just a businessman making plans. And he says, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, but we make all these weird theological things out of wills. It just means wants. If God wants me to, if this is what God wants, if this is what is in God's word for me to do, I will live and I will also do this or that. So the number one thing is not how do I make a profit? The number one thing is what does God want for me? That has to be where you start. And if you aren't waking up every day saying, what does God want for me? And you're thinking, how do I make a profit? You are already ensnared in a lie. But I just thought, I'd never seen this connection. It's how close these are. It's as it is you boast in your arrogance. Your self-sufficiency, your planning for the purpose of making money is arrogance, and it's going against how God, money, the world really works. And it actually will put you into demon demonic bondage if you don't snap out of it and come to. So I already talked about how spiritual warfare works. The paradigm for it is in the very first encounter with humanity with the devil and the whole Bible. God said this. Satan came along and said, well, actually, I had God on this side last time. So I'll keep God on this side. God said this. The devil comes along with a lie. Eve goes with the lie, acts on the lie. And here we are, you know, however many millennia later in utter total pandemonium. So she acted on it and it brought destruction and death. The Bible says, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, death through sin. And so everyone dies now. And they welcomed it in because they believed a lie. They acted on the lie. And so he's not just interested in that lie. He's interested in, in taking us out as quickly as he possibly can. He's got a lot of avenues to do it. And money is one of those ways that he does it. So I thought that was really fascinating. That right next to the spiritual warfare passage is just a businessman doing businessman things. And I think that's the way most Christian businessmen think. I guess maybe I'll put out this big lie that I've been thinking about a lot. This is a lie. And you may react against it, but that just shows that you're taken captive according to Scripture. Um, I cannot be happy. I cannot be happy, content, fulfilled, unless I'm financially comfortable. I cannot have a good life. I cannot be happy unless I'm financially comfortable. Now, I told you this is going to challenge some of you. The Bible calls these kind of thoughts strongholds. Why does it call them strongholds? Because they're strongly held. <laughs> it doesn't call them weak holds, you know? It's, and, and when you're deceived and you believe a lie, the, I mean, the thing that, why you're ensnared is that you actually believe it. 
I'm trying to think of what's a silly lie. I told you that when I was a little kid, we used to buy, drive, we lived on the bay in, in California, close to the bay. And there were these huge oil refinery ships. And my dad told me they were olive stuffers. <laughs> I was 19. Then I went, that's not an olive stuffer at all. It's not. You don't even need all that stuff to stuff olives with. Pimento cheese. That didn't make any sense. I'm serious, but every time I drove by that from four, I'm not joking, to 19, I thought it was an olive stuffer. Your brains are full of this kind of nonsense. That's the whole reason you get saved. Is so so God can start rewiring the computer so you see the universe as it actually is. This is a lie that most Americans live with. I cannot be happy if I'm not financially secure and comfortable. If you want to be happy, you're going to have to demolish that lie and replace it with something else. Or chase that lie and suffer for the rest of your life. And we have really quick illustrations of that with the lottery. I mean, it's like, thanks for the, you know, the state lottery, whatever. Thanks for the visual aid. It doesn't work, but you say what? I could handle it. Let's see, lies come in packages. Oh, you, but nobody else, whoever won the lottery. You could handle it, but they couldn't. You're kidding yourself. Being wealthy brings a whole plethora of demonic, crazy temptations that you can't even dream of. And again and again, as I'm reading down all these people that suddenly got rich, I was way happier when I didn't have money. And yet we still believe it. We all want to be millionaires. It is, a, it is a kind of worship that's based on a lie. And the God is called money. If I, if I am in the favor, the good graces of this God called money, my life is going to be great. Many of you sitting here, you believe it. And you're trying to think of some Bible verses to get out of this. You will not win. I will crush you like a bug this morning. You cannot win this battle with an open Bible. There's no possible way. Now, go on, go on the internet, get your favorite preacher. Oh, sure, you can have some huckster, some charlatan, some silver-tongued snake in a church telling you that God wants you to be rich, but he's going to be twisting the Bible all over the place, and Jesus warned us about that. Paul warned us about that, but it's a lie. So let's see some other thoughts here. Uh, Jesus says you have to choose between God and wealth. You have to choose who your God's going to be. Have you done that? Have you told God, I choose you. I choose you, even if it means I never have any wealth. I choose you. I choose you if... <laughs> There's a story that I was thinking of. Uh, I have to clarify a lot of stuff. Right now, I'm doing fine. Financially, I don't have to do a lot by faith because... You guys are really generous, and Susan and I have a livable salary, but in a lot of our lifetime, we haven't. 
Um, and when we started this church, we, you know, and, and even what God was doing here, we didn't. Uh, and things were rough, rough, rough. And I have I have a journal, and I'm writing in my journal. I, I probably told this at some other point. And I'm picturing the devil doing kind of the Job thing in heaven. Thank God, keep putting the squeeze on Tad financially, and he will reject you. I'm writing in my journal. I'm just thinking of this in my head because that's what it feels like. Man, what in the world? I'm just, I am, God, this is excruciating. I, I'm living my life to pursue you, and it would seem to me if I'm doing that, you should be paying my bills, but I'm, I'm getting squeezed. And I'm picturing Satan in heaven. Just let me keep squeezing him. Let me keep squeezing him. He's going to deny you. And I, <laughs> Sometimes you do the right thing, and you can look back, and it still feels like a punch in the devil's mouth when you talk about it. I said, God, I would, I would serve you if I had to pay you money. Like right in the midst of this trial. I would serve you if I had to pay you money. I'm not in this for the money. I don't serve you for the money. Money's not my God. And I kid you not, on the next page, financial bombs started raining in. I think God went, <laughs> he just flat loves me. He's not in this for the money. You lose. So here, Tad, here's... We, I just, I'm not even. I, I was trying to find it this morning, and and I just opened one up, and I actually found uh, High Song's wedding, and so I took a picture of it and sent it to him, and that was really sweet. And I couldn't find this account. I have to go dig it out. I know it's in there, but on one page, I didn't get into this gig for the money. If you're serving God for the money, you're serving some other God. Yeah, and his name is Money, and he's happy. To, he's happy for you to call him God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and whatever else you want to call him. But he's not God. So Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. But does that mean you have to be poor and your life isn't going to be blessed? No, but there's going to be seasons where he's going to teach you stuff where you don't have anything. Where else are you going to learn to pray for your daily bread? With a full refrigerator? You learn to pray for your daily bread when you need daily bread. You know, it's a, So you're going to go through seasons. You're going to learn how to pray. Um, so anyway, what did Jesus say? Let's see here. Matthew 6. Oh. Don't store up. He's brutal. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. You have to take every biblical statement in the broader context of everything that the Bible says about an issue. If you take them in isolation, you can easily distort them. That's why you have to study the whole Bible. I could take something out of a letter you wrote. Um, maybe you're writing an angry letter to your mom and you go to K-State and you say, I hate K-State. Um, someone could take that out and say, look, this dude's a terrorist. He's probably going to be blown up the school. He's, I have it right here. Like, wait a minute. I was just talking about the pressure of the engineering program that I had four tests this week. And it was, I didn't really, it's all in context, right? So you got to take this all in context. It doesn't mean you're wicked if you have a bank account or you're saving for a house or anything like that. But Jesus, tough words. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasures, there will your heart be also. What he is saying is, in the process of living in this world and exchanging commodities and money, exchanging hands and all that, where's your head? 
Are you doing it to further God's kingdom and God's cause and to spread the gospel and to show compassion and take care of orphans and widows and to help yourself become conformed to the image of Christ? Or are you trying to make money so you can have a cushy life? Where's your head? Most people's heads are, they believe a lie. I cannot be happy if I don't have money. So I'm going to pursue money. And then a lot of silly Christians are like, and once I score big, then I'm going to come over and serve God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm going to be a missionary and I'm going to open up an orphanage and then I'm going to go get that seminary degree. Please find me the human being on planet earth that that worked for. It's a lie. You're not going to become a missionary and serve Jesus by first of all, serving the God of money. Anyway, so he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is clear, which means you're not pursuing, you're not obsessed with money for money's sake, your body will be full of light. If your eye is evil, the evil eye, envy, uh, money, 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 I want money. The evil eye, literally, it's, it's, a, it's a figure of speech. Your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. You will either wake up in the morning saying, your will be done, rich or poor, in this city or halfway around the world. Whatever you want me to do, I'm your slave. That's You're going to wake up doing that. I'm going to wake up serving money. And going to church on Sunday, maybe finding a church that says it's great. We're having a financial you know, seminar, so you can be a millionaire by 30. And you're like, yeah, I want to go to that one. That's hallelujah, praise Jesus. You said you can't do that. You can't serve this God and that God. Can't do it. You cannot serve God and money. It says you'll want, love the one, you'll hate the one and love the other, a bit devoted to one and despise the other. How dare you? I don't despise God. Maybe that's why you don't like reading the Bible. You're not really going to admit it. You don't like what it says. Because when you study it, Paul talks about um, people, preachers. He says, such men are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their appetite. Their glory is in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. They were around in the first century, these hucksters false religion that tells you you serve Jesus and he wants you to have a big fat bank account and be financially secure. Nope. We're in this to serve God. And as you do God, God's will, he will give you everything you need to get his will done. And uh, if, you, if you do this with a whole heart, you're going to see a whole lot of miracles. We've had cars given to us. People drop anonymous $10,000 in our bank account. I mean, we've People throw money at me in a restaurant. I mean, give me airline tickets because I needed it when I was doing God's will and I had nothing and I was praying for something. Well, if we're serving money, we're not giving God any space to do any miracle in our life. If we're serving God, God says, hey, walk, walk forward. It's like, but God, I don't have the money for it. Yeah, but you're walking with me and you're obeying me. Just watch what happens when you hit that spot right there. I'm going to fill it in and I'm going to surprise you and something wonderful is going to happen. Well, I want to see a miracle first, and then I'll start following God. It doesn't work that way. Make God your God, and die to this God called money. Learn how to follow him, and then he'll do miracles to take care of you. Okay, who in here knows who George Mueller is? He lived his life so that we could all see how this is done. 
You don't serve money. He didn't live for money. He didn't even tell people when he needed money. He, he raised 10,000 orphans through prayer and faith and led tens of thousands of people to Christ. And he said, I, I put my life on display so Christians, Christians could see what a life of obedience and prayer looks like and how fruitful it is. He didn't say, I'm going to become an MLM, multi-level marketing salesman, so I can be financially secure, so then I can go become a missionary in India. He said, no, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to get to know his word, and I'm going to obey him. So anyway, you can't serve God in money. So this morning I was listening to, I was thinking about some songs for some reason. I used to listen to this band called Delirious. Anybody know Delirious? We sing, one of the, the most famous song we sing in worship, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. Um, you know, from the mountains and the sea, your river flows with love for me. Anyway, um, we sing it on Sunday sometimes, and it's like probably 25, 30 years old. But they were like this super cool Christian band. They're actually one of the first Christian bands to make it into the mainstream. But they were super worshipful, and they just have some of the most brilliant lyrics in their songs. And one of them, I was asking my wife where this lyric comes from. I'll be poor if it means I can find more of a passion for the secret you hide. Would you say that? God, I'll be poor if it means I can have more of you. This is called The Bargain. There's another song called The Bargain. Whatever you have to get, give up to get God, it's a bargain. Whatever you, whatever you, some career, some dream, walk away from the NFL, from your rich family, um, whatever. Bail out of a, some, some wrong degree that you're in. Whatever you have to give up, break up with some crazy girlfriend or boyfriend that you're latched on to. Whatever you have to give up, your dream of being a millionaire, being a diamond club, whatever. Whatever you have to give up to get God, it's a bargain. So, uh, let's see what else. What are some other thoughts here? Oh, do you really believe what the Bible says about knowing God? The Bible says one day in his courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. Better than a, one day in God's courts is better than being in Arrowhead Stadium for a thousand days. One day in God's court is better than being on the beach at a club med resort with your toes in the white sand, drinking a pina colada or whatever you think, or being on a yacht, or being in Hawaii, or being an heir to a fortune, or having your own private jet. One day. That's what the Bible says. Do you believe that? I believe it. And so that's why we say no to this God, because one day with the one and true living God, that's what our souls are hungering and thirsting for. This God can't deliver. You're always after one more. You're always trying to get over the next hill, one more dollar. That's what, what they, was it Howard Hughes? Just turned into a crazy man. He's so rich. How much is enough? One more dollar, man. One more, one more, one more. When you find God and you find his presence, you're like, this is it. I don't, this is it. In his presence is the fullness of joy. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's just because you've never been there. 
But that's what Psalm 84 says. So either wealth is going to deliver happiness, wholeness, purpose, etc., or he is. And Psalm 84, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. What, we all have this yearning inside of us for meaning, purpose, satisfaction, all these kind of things. And the devil's just trying to get you to attach it to something else. And the, and the most easy thing to get you to attach to is money. Because all the world says, yeah, this is what's going to do it for you. But just look at the people with money. All of us know, have relatives and friends who are filthy rich. Now, there are some Christians that I know that are very, very rich and they're very happy, but they don't serve the God of money. God's given them money as a stewardship to help move the kingdom forward. That's a totally different story. But people that live for money, they obsess over money. We all have relatives and friends. And when I was in Bible college, I used to work on the Million Dollar Mile in Chicago. And uh, man, in these, I, I'm not kidding. The owner of the Indianapolis Colts, I think Oprah Winfrey lived in on the Million Dollar Mile. Uh, just these like historic, crazy rich people. I used to take out the garbage. Um, Piles and piles and piles of bottles. Why do people drink? They're unhappy and they're going on vacation. But how could they be unhappy? They are the they're the people we admire. I remember the owner of Jet, the owner of Jet magazine, which is kind of the you know the high profile happened in Black Culture magazine. All the the owner was in one of the magazines. Sid Luckman, further uh, former um, quarterback for the. Chicago Bears way back in the day, big businessman, all this kind of stuff. They were all in these buildings, just bottles and bottles and bottles. And I'm not saying any of these individuals happen to be drinking, but it was this sort of person. This, the psalmist knows, no, it's in God's presence. We have to say no to this God. I will not serve you. I've heard Christians say, I, I grew up poor. I just determined at such and such a point, I will not be poor. That, that's frightening to me. Why? What are you saying? Because being financially secure is what is going to keep my life healthy, ha ha happy, etc. What if God needs you to go through a season of want so you can learn how to pray? You can see uh, his miraculous word and how true it is and how it's going to work in your life if you trust him. Nope. I am going to have money, doggone it. I will not suffer the pain that comes from not having money. Um, I've heard Christians say that. I said, well, then you've just kind of slit your own hamstrings because God's not going to be able to do much with you. So anyway, and that's what it says. You can read this on your own. You go down to verse 10. A day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So uh, yeah, let's just keep rolling here. Thoughts on wealth? Oh, the prosperity gospel, which is the one that you see on TV, and it's where everybody goes and buys all the books and the New York Times bestseller list and the stadium-filled churches. Most of them are prosperity gospel, which means if you become a Christian, you get to be rich. You guys familiar with the prosperity gospel? Only five people, 10 people. You familiar with this? It's a lot of the big names. Why are these guys so popular? Because it's financial pornography. It is appealing to the God 
of money in us that we worship. We want somebody to say, I can be a Christian and go into heaven and believe in Jesus and serve money too. It, it, it appeals in the same way that pornography appeals to a distortion, a misuse of something. This prosperity gospel appeals to a distortion. That's why, the, that's why they're filled with unsaved I, you know, I don't know, maybe 90% of the people listening are unsaved, and the 10% that happen to be there are just poor at interpreting the Bible. Um, but it is. It, it's this, we want to serve money. And so I go to Africa a lot. This is taken over, top to bottom, side to side. It's everywhere in Africa. And they tell all these poor Africans, serve Jesus, get rich. That's, that's why, and, and they whip them up into a frenzy. And then the pastor says, see, I'm rich, so you can get rich. But he's really preying on these people. It's false. They're giving all their money to the pastor. It's all going up the pyramid to the guy at the top, and then he can boast and say it works. It's not working for anybody else. You're, they're dupes. They're being deceived. They're worshiping this God called money, but they're really enslaved to false doctrine. But that's how it works in religious circles. But there's a whole lot of other ways that we serve this God of money, even among Christians. <laughs> I could get really, maybe stay ambiguous. Someone called me, like a really mature person in this church. Um, they're like, uh, someone in my family is trying to get me into all this betting stuff that's on television with the games. Um, and, and they're like, hey, if you sign up today, oh, I don't even know. They, they come on the football things all the time. Sign up for $5, we'll give you $200 to bet with. Um, that is financial pornography. You want to get rich, you're thinking you're going to score big, and then all your problems are going to be solved. Uh, and how many people right here in this room have a personal story not very far from home of someone whose life, marriage, faith, blew to smithereens because they chased after gambling? I mean, I, this is stuff that we talk about. It's a lie. Money is going to make you secure. Try to get there quick. So the lottery, no good stories from the lottery. I've I not found one. It's the same thing. The health and wealth gospel, it's the same thing. And I hate to say this because some of you guys are thinking about doing this. Most multi-level marketing stuff, it's, it's financial pornography. Oh, sure, they put God in there. It's, it's, they even listed priorities. God, family, then business. See? Yeah, but it's the God of money. That's the one you're serving. It's not the God of the Bible. And it's a scam, and it's for suckers, and it's for people that worship the God of money. And if you actually are willing to do your research, there's a small percentage of people at the very, very top that are making all the money, convincing you that you can. But most people, after they spun their wheels, taking out loans, have boxes full of junk that they can't get rid of, they uh, go on down the road and find something that will actually work in the real world if their marriage makes it. So it's, we believe this lie. If I just had money, I would be secure. No, if you were just in a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and obeying him on a daily level, you would have joy and peace and fullness 
And it's what he promises. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm gentle, humble. You'll find rest for your souls, etc. It's all through the Bible. Joy unspeakable, full of glory, peace that passes comprehension. But most Christians say, don't believe it. I'm going to stick with a God of money. I'm going to pad my 401k. I'm going to invest in stocks. I'm going to, and we'll ha we have financial seminars and we have Christian gurus that promote this. Please show me from the New Testament, not the Old Testament. The Old Testament is supposed to be pictures and figures. So if you want to say, well, in the Old Testament, they're getting rich, then I'll say, well, let's strap a sword on our side and go you know, down the street and kill our religious opposition. They are pictures. In the New Testament, everything graduates to the spiritual plane, including money. It's a, you're misusing the Bible if you're saying Solomon was rich, I get to be rich. That's not, it's like, no, this is, these are like, this is like the picture book for the, the spiritual principles that we're supposed to be following. But we're also dumb, we fall for it. Yeah, Solomon was rich, I want to be rich. Um, but it, Jesus said, no, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. How do you do that? Using your money to further the kingdom. So, anyway. Ah, this is also something interesting. I was just, I was all over the place. I'm just trying to like rein some of these things in. My mind's all over the place. I'm trying not to, um, because there's people in our church getting thrashed by this. And uh, Job had to lose everything before he really knew God. And don't get into the details or let the devil say God's a meanie pants because he killed Job's children. You're going to miss the point here. How did Job come to know God by losing? He, he, it happened through the process of losing everything. He gets to the end of the book after he's lost everything. And it's, a, it's an exaggerated case. Yeah, I, you, know, you don't expect this to happen. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even put the verse here. because Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, Job, this is the very end of the book. Job answered and said to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. He's lost everything. He's got nothing. He's sitting on a pile of ashes, scraping. The, he doesn't even have his health. But, but through it all, he gets to know God. The point of the book is, that's your created purpose. At the beginning of the book, he's got, he's, he's, he's one of the greatest men on planet Earth. Opulent, wealthy, herds, flocks, servants. But he has to lose it all. He gets to the end of the book. And he says, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then he quotes God's words to him because before he went through this all, he was religious, but he was a religious idiot. He was. He, God loved him and he was doing great for the revelation he had. But he's, this is what God said to him. Who is this who hides counsel? Which means God's counsel. And the actual quote is by words without knowledge that he's referring back to earlier. He's basically saying, Job, all your talk is just a bunch of religious hooey that's getting in the way of the truth. Job says, the fact is I spoke about things I didn't understand, things too awesome for me, which I didn't know. And then Job says, listen now, I'll speak. I'll ask you, you instruct me. He said, I've heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. So he went through it all and he says, now I see you. Now I know who you are. I lost absolutely everything. Now I know who you are. And the book wraps up, boom, it's over. So all 42 chapters, it's worth losing everything to come to know God. Why? Because that's why you were created. You weren't created to be in a cushy little money bubble. 
it got, you have to use money, and some of you guys are going to have a lot of money. Some of you guys do have a lot of money. Um, but some of you guys are worshiping money. And you believe without it, you can't be happy. Yes, you can. You, I like to say this. I say it a lot. You can be so happy, you're not going to be able to stand yourself if you understand that in his presence is the fullness of joy. But you have to die to this ridiculous delusion that pursuing money is worth giving your life to. If you, pursue, if you pursue God, he'll show you who you are. He'll show you what your gifts are. He'll develop skills and gifts in you so that you can really be a blessing to this world. And in the process, yes, he's going to be giving you everything financially you need to make this happen. But it's not because you're serving the God of money. It's because you're serving him and he's providing all your needs in the process and in the, on the path that he wants you walking down. Let's see here. Man, Paul, this is one of the toughest passages in the whole Bible about money. Godliness is a means of great, he actually says that, that churches that teach that following God is a way to get rich, he says this is, this is a distortion and a perversion. But the churches are full. They're big, how can they be wrong? They're filling whole stadiums. They're the greatest, most popular teachers on earth. Why? Because they're, it's the same reason that pornography is the number one thing on the internet. It is appealing to a sick, twisted, demonic lie in us. It's a distortion and a misuse of something that God wants us to understand how to handle and use in a godly way, our sexuality when it's pornography, but money. But the reason that these churches are so popular are because these people have not yet stopped worshiping the God of money. And, and in that church... Thousands and thousands of people, they can't articulate the gospel to you. They're there because, wow, this, this person's God will help me get rich. That's what I've always been after. In Africa, where I go a lot of times, it's you graduate from witchcraft to God. Witchcraft helps you get what you want until you become a Christian. And then God just kind of, uh, he kind of takes over the role of, of what the witchcraft did, you know, did. And you, you use him to get rich and have people fall in love with you or whatever. You don't repent. You still have the same sickness and you're still driven by the same wicked desires. Like, no, we need to die to worshiping anything but God alone, following anything but God alone, and then learn how to use these different things that God's given us. But anyway, let's look at what t Paul told Timothy. Godliness is the means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Content <laughs> We've brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. No, 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 Paul, you don't understand. If you don't graduate, I mean, graduate, if you don't uh, 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 retire with so many millions of dollars, you need to be shooting for that, that retirement lifestyle that you deserve. So you should be funneling, you should be thinking about money all the time. How am I going to maintain this lifestyle? How am I going to get my kids through college? How am I then going to retire? How am I going to have all these assets? How am I going to... Paul, you're, you're out of touch, buddy. If I have food and covering, I can be happy, content, and good? I don't know. Looks like that's what it says. Those who want to get rich, watch this. I'm watching this with my own eyes right now in people's lives. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish, harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. 
He's talking to Christians here. Well, I can't fall into that because I have Jesus in my heart. You can fall into anything as a Christian if you're not careful. And he's telling people, Paul's saying, I have friends who are dashed on the rocks. Maybe they started out serving God and renouncing this God of money that everybody else was, but somehow subtly, maybe they got into a church that kind of softened them up a little bit. Maybe they got into a Christian multi-level marketing thing that said all the things that their sinful flesh wanted to hear. And subtly, slowly, they began to buy it, drink the Kool-Aid. Now their marriage is over and their kids are crazy and their faith you know, is dashed on the rocks. Paul said, I've seen it happen. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. This is often misquoted. The love of money is not the root of all evil. That's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> there was evil before there was money. People were, we're, we're going to figure out ways to do money, to do, to do money, to do evil if we have money or not. But this is one of the biggest ways that we get ensnared. All sorts of evil, some by longing for it, wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pains. How many of you guys have pierced yourself with a pain, a severe pain? And I don't mean once. I mean a pain that's stuck in your side. Some of you right now are walking with swords sticking out of you that we can't see. You've pierced yourself with a pain, a pain and a pang, and you're suffering because of the way you handled money. Anybody honest enough to say that? I sure have. Come on, just to encourage the other folks that aren't willing to tell the truth. You're, you're in pain because of the way you handled money. You didn't do it God's way. Yeah, Paul said, I see this all the time. He says, now, does that mean no Christians can be rich? No, there's going to be rich Christians. And unfortunately, most of us are going to be, you know, not rich. That's just the fact. But it doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm like, I'm resigned to the fact that it's not in the cards for me to be rich. Some of my Christian brothers, that's not a good... Some of my Christian brothers have a lot of money. I'm like, well, that's the hand you're given, and God has something else for me. So I don't, I don't really care. I just want to do his will. So, uh, But he says, tell those who are rich in this world not to be conceited, fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and generous, ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So he says, even if you do have a lot of money, don't worship it, don't love it, don't hold on to it tightly. Use it to do good stuff. Send missionaries. Man, we had a uh, missionary couple here last week, Andrew and Kate. Use your money to help people like that. They're riding around with nomads in the middle of the desert in Chad. People have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They could be living in the suburbs and he's like showing me the life they've chosen to live. And uh, I'm like, in heaven, you're a hero. Man, we are proud of you. It's like, use your money to support people doing that kind of stuff, man. Michaela and Alan, any of you guys aware of what they're doing over there in Uganda? <laughs> they've suffered. And they've stood, if you're there, hey guys, on Zoom. And now they're starting to reap a harvest. All nights of prayer, people getting saved. I said, you guys know you're starting a church, right? Alan, you're going to be a pastor. This, it's like they're in the middle of poverty. We're in the middle of riches. What should we be doing with our money if we do happen to have some extra? 
use it on things that we can talk about 10,000 years from now. You don't need new rims on your Toyota, you know? You don't need a new pair of Nikes or whatever after you already have 10 in your closet. So use it for stuff that matters. So anyway, to don't financial security a lot of times is worship. So anyway, tough stuff. All right, coming in for a landing. Why is this called a, the bargain? Because uh, I had some really cool conversations with Susan this morning. She kept coming in and talking to me, and it would, it would evoke some memory. Uh, and I'll, since I have a few minutes before 12, I'll try to squeeze another one in here. I remember we used to go out to a Russian division in Chicago when I was in Bible college, and we would share our faith, pass out tracks. Um, and it was the bar district, kind of, kind of a lot like Aggieville. You know, you got all the guys and they're all buff and they're strutting around, you know, and the girls in their little dresses like showing way too much. Every, it's just like, it's like gross. And you know, they're all getting drunk. So their sensibilities are, and they're all doing stupid things that they're going to regret. But that's where they are. But beautiful. They're all beautiful on the outside. And I turn and, <clears throat> serious, I'm not even joking. I turn and I'm startled because there is a dude who has been through a fire and he looks like a skull with like melted wax like his teeth are up like this and and i was and i try not to be and now more memories are coming back because i prayed for him and i put my hand on his arm and i was like it was just a bone it was like a bone covered with skin and uh and i'm talking to this guy so we have all these beautiful people strutting around you know they're after money of course but they're also after sex and pleasure and all that kind of ridiculous nonsense that the world's after and nobody's happy but everybody keeps at it I'm like do you know jesus Yes, I know Jesus. Are you born again? Yes, I'm born again. I said, you see all these healthy people running after? They got nothing. And I said, and you got it made. And I remember he liked joy. Like, yeah, I got it made. That's like an eternal perspective. Because ultimately all this is going to burn. It's all going to fade. Don't love the world, things in the world. It's all going to pass away. It is the will of God abides forever. You win on this side because you have better friends. You have more joy. You have greater experiences, more purpose, peace, everything. You get everything more on this side. That's what Paul said. Godliness is profitable on this side and the next side. You go after money, comfort, pleasure, the stupid philosophies that drive the world. You lose on this side. And on the next side, there's nothing. Even if you're saved, it says you're saved like as through fire. Lose, lose. So it also brought to mind something else that uh, another memory that I had this is when I were talking, and this was uh, a song that I listened to when uh, in the process of following God, another lie that you will fall for is, I need a spouse. I need a spouse without a person of the opposite gender, and now it's any gender, I cannot be happy. But that's a lie too. You don't need a spouse to be happy. You need to follow God to be happy. And in the process, chances are you're going to get a way better spouse than you would have ever picked because God's just into doing good things for his obedient kids. But um, I, when I was young, like all of you guys, I was desperate and I was trying to date and I had my criteria here and whatever and there was a girl that i was interested in and the more i tried to pursue her i just felt like the lord's like uh-uh wasting your time knock it off 
Like, my God, there's never going to be anyone else that'll ever, you know. I was like, are you going to obey me or are you going to waste my time? Can we just move on, please? Um, well, it wasn't really, God didn't actually say all that. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But I just knew I had to make a choice to walk away from that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to serve the God of marriage or the God of kids or the God of money or the God of anything else. I'm going to serve you. And if you say that this is not the time, and this is not the person, I'm going to follow you. Huh. And there's, an, there's a rock band, old rock band called The Who. And they wrote a song called Bargain. And the song Bargain actually found out it was it was Pete Townsend. It was a spiritual song. I thought it was about a girl, but it wasn't. It's called it's called the Bargain. And there's a Christian band that I used to listen to called the Resurrection Band, and they did a remake on this song probably because they found out it was a spiritual song. I remember playing that song in my dorm room, crying, and saying, "It doesn't it doesn't matter what we have to give up." No matter what we give up, it's a bargain. It's a bargain, it's a bargain, it's a bargain. I win. I win overwhelmingly. I win. The Bible says that the, uh, the sufferings of this present life aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And we get to even taste that on this side of things. That's not just talking about the sweet by and by. You cannot outgive God. You cannot. Uh, I love the story of C.T. Studd. He gave up his fortune. He walked away from uh, athletic careers, one of the greatest athletes on earth. He was an Oxford scholar or Cambridge. or I mean, he's hoity-toity, wealthy family, walked away from it all. At the end of his life, said, someone said, tell us about all the sacrifices you've made for the Lord. Like, sacrifices? You can't do it, man. We just don't believe him. We don't believe he's the thing. We don't believe he'll deliver. We don't believe he can give joy and peace and fullness and purpose and everything that we think money's get. We don't believe he'll do it for us. So anyway, I'll show you the lyrics. I'd gladly lose me to find you. I'd gladly give up all I had. To find you, I'd suffer anything and be glad. I'd pay any price just to get you. I'd work all my life, and I will, to win you. I'd stand naked, stoned, and stabbed. I call that a bargain. The best I ever had. The best I ever had. Jump the bridge here. I'd pay any price just to win you. Surrender my good life for bad. To find you, I'm going to drown an unsung man. Sounds like baptism to me. Baptism is a picture of death. I'm done serving all the other gods. I'm done with my sin. I'm going to serve you. I thought, well, if Paul can quote pagan, pagan poets, I can quote the who. So leave me alone. Uh, I don't know. I don't need to go. I don't need to read all this. But I just, but, but the, it's, it's almost, the songs, the chorus is almost violent. It's like the best I ever had. But he shouts it, the best I ever had, right? I'm just crying in my dorm. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, don't serve these other gods. They can't deliver. Money's not going to deliver. You're not going to be happy because you're financially secure. It's not going to happen. If you believe it, you're believing a lie. Let it die. I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm happier than the rich people. 
I've been able to travel all over the planet. I have incredible relationships. I get to see miracles all the time. Jesus delivers the goods. But you'll have to go through stretches like Paul says. I've had an abundance. I've suffered need. But I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. But a lot of you have to die to this because you are in it. You're worshiping this God. He's going to kill you. He's going to destroy your marriage. He's going to destroy your kids. Die. Serve Jesus. Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Thank you that you deliver to die, to give up everything. He who loses his life finds it. Uh, we die to live. And uh, so many promises in Scripture. Said if we leave anything for your sake, we get a hundred times more in this life and a life to come. But we shouldn't do this for the goodies. We should do this because you're worthy. You died for us. You love us. You created us. Following anyone else is insanity. So I just pray today, again, I just want to give you my whole heart. If you want anything of mine, I'm not saying it'll be easy, but you want my cars, you want my house, you want me to move, you want me to take someone in my house, you want me to empty out some bank account, you want me to give away my new Christmas bicycle, I hope you don't ask me to do that, but whatever, Lord, I want to be somebody that I don't want anything to own me but you, and you're worthy, and I love you, and I hope that would be the prayer of others in this room as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So 